0: Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Madison Langley from Dairy Australia. In this episode recorded at the recent Australian Dairy Conference in Tasmania, Murray Dairy's Lead Regional Extension Officer Lachlan Barnes talks candidly with farmers Scott Fitzgerald, Jeffrey Gisbers and George Rigney. The panel discussion touches on personal stories of starting out in dairy, the barriers they see to farm business growth and individual perspectives and successes looking at opportunities for the long term.
1: So I've just witnessed a really good presentation at the Australian Dairy Conference with three farmers. Just for the listeners at home, it's always good to get the voice with a bit of an explanation of who you are. So we might start with you, Scott. Just give us your name. Uh, We're a dairy farmer. And I reckon give us the age where you knew you were going to be in dairy
2: farming. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, we're a dairy farmer up in Northern Victoria, uh, milking 330 cows and um, I reckon maybe 20, 28 years old, Lockie?
3: yeah,
4: Beautiful. Yeah, I'm Jeffrey Gisbys, I'm a farmer with me partner, Monique, in the North of Tasmania. We're milking about oh, a bit under 1,200 cows at the moment. Across two farms.
1: Yep. And what time, What age were you when you decided you were going to be a dairy farmer? I knew you were going to be oh, a dairy farmer. Oh,
4: when I was going to be a dairy farmer? I come to Australia when I was 23. Yep. So I left all my family behind, friends.
1: And the bug bit then. That's it.
3: And I'm George Rigney uh, from farming near Cressy uh, in Tassie. And uh, we milk about um, 2,200 cows. Uh, and um, I knew that I was going to be a dairy farmer in 2008-09 when we did our first conversion. So talking to three, uh, you can't see them, but um,
1: um, youngish to middle-aged gentleman and decided on dairy farming late, but from three very different spots. Scott, generational dairy farmer, He's talked in there about uh, barriers to growth when you first started. Now, you got 600 cows. Have you got any comments on a barrier to reducing that herd? Because now you're at 330. Yeah,
2: so we, we got to 500 cows, lucky, but the... Um, I gave you another 100, sorry. You can that bit out. Yeah, uh, I suppose our barrier to growth was um, capital. Like, we took over the family business and... It, it took a while to, to own those cows outright, um, build equity in ourselves to to buy more land and, and push forward and, and expand the business.
1: Yeah, so that was the barrier to growth. I'm interested in, you've gone from 500 to 330, um, the process of going through that. And what was the barrier to, um, I guess, going backwards? Um, was there any... Psychological things about reducing cows—is any worry about cash flow? The business is big enough, or was it purely about getting the right size for what your land wanted, what the family needed, what was good for Scott?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, definitely a big barrier to, to reducing the business, and and mainly uh, mentally, like I, like I was, I was pushing so hard to grow the business, and the last thing I wanted to do was is sort of pull it up, um, but I. I I guess in that thinking, the the idea behind it is to is to um, is to make sure the business is around in the long term. So we're not um, running a fine line and, and potentially getting knocked off our perch um, over something that shouldn't knock us off. Because mm, we often celebrate
1: the successes of look how this business has grown over time. So. I think we've got to have that as a success about somebody who's realised the size of the business for them. The other thing we often hear about in dairy farming is dairy farming's too hard, cropping's easy. We'll go
3: from dairy farming to cropping. You've got a different take on that. Yeah, we do. Uh, we went from cropping and sheep and beef to dairy, uh, I suppose, because um, the setup of our farm at the time, uh, you know, both Robbie and I came home. Uh, from Ann college not at different times, but in the same sort of era yeah, uh, timeframe. And um, our enterprise mix wasn't big enough yeah. to sustain my my family, his family, and my parents. So we needed to think of or come up with a solution uh, to how, you know, what we were going to do to to uh, where we're going to go and buy another big farm somewhere. So I was, you know, one can start this farm, One can, we both wanted to be farmers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we had this opportunity to um, invest in some irrigation structure, uh, pipeline. And like I said in the thing today, you know, we had the chance to buy this water, or what was gonna be the best way to utilize that water. And it was sort of a, a timing thing where um, it all sort of came in together and, um, You know, we did the analysis on dairy Mm. and we could sort of keep the same land area but go from a small cropping enterprise um, to a large scale dairy on the same land. So, you know, when we did the conversion, we basically um, flattened the farm in terms of all the fencing Mm. came out. We had small table pivots. We joined them up to make big pivots, you know, um, and then we you know, we had it all in with wheat and stuff, so that all yeah. in the silos and um, yeah, where you way yeah. So yeah. two stories, of generational farmers, I
1: guess, getting the resource base working for them in a in a in a way that's going to help them stay on the land, have an enterprise that works for the family, and yeah. so opposite direction has got, but sort of similar thought process went into it. Now, Jeff or Jeffrey? Do you all prefer Jeffrey or Jeff? Either way, no mind, they'll edit yeah. this out. <laughs> um, these two guys, I guess, inherited the land. So Every Australian knows, I guess, that you can't get into dairy farming without being a generational farmer. So they've just had the luxury of that. Um, so well, how did you get into dairy and why were you too silly to realise you can't get in without walking in and getting the keys handed to you? So in Holland,
4: land prices are where 150,000 euros a hectare and 60 euro cents makes a dollar. So it's impossible to get into land over there unless yep. you've got someone to back you up. So mm. I was actually working as self-employed and I was leasing myself, renting myself out to people that, you know, broke a leg or uh, someone needed a digger driver or a chopper driver or you know, yep. So I was doing that sort of stuff. But then um, one of my mates, he said, oh, Jeffrey, would you like to go um, travel in Australia? I said, oh, yeah, we'll go for 12 months. So I went for 12 months, working in the cattle station. <clears throat> then we um, went to Tassie on the dairy farm um, for four months and I ended up going back to Holland with him and uh, doing, you know, back to what I was doing in Holland. And I thought by myself, well, if I want to be a farm, it's not going to happen here. So um, I need to come up with a sort of a plan, you know, what, what I'm going to do. I talked to my mum and dad at the time said, oh, well, would it be all right if I give it a chance for 12 months? And I went over here and then, um, yeah, so my dad passed away then after two months and then I went back to Holland. <clears throat> Had to funeral dad chat with mum and said, oh, well, if we're going to go back, I'll give it a red hot crack. So yeah. I went back to Australia and. So working with a family farm, and um, so I needed to learn how to grow grass. So I was going to TAFE courses, then I needed to learn how to how to grow this grass. So we done the TAFE courses. Um, then I'm involved because uh, in Tessie, it's uh, we get this booklet at the at the end of the year. We get this uh, the farmer, uh, you know, who done the dairy business of the year Oh, Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was focusing on the top three all the time. So it's some pretty common names. That Pretty much keep coming mm. back so i surrounded me that sort of people and um <clears throat> um there was actually a time because i was working every 14 days on sorry, so 14 days on and then every second weekend off so um and then i went to the share farm what actually won the previous year and i said to him i said well i'll come and work for you but you don't have to pay me you just have to learn me what you know mm. and, and he thought i was absolutely mad and, and um, I'd done that for a while and then um, I went off um, as a manager at uh, Van Diemen's company, um, so they got the whole, probably 25 farms. Um, so um, I was a manager for two years, Yeah. then we wanted to go share farming and um, so I got a contact with Paul Bennett in at the time and um, we said there was a five-year goal and, and, and instead you you know do you want to actually go that way? Because a lot of farmers don't really want to put, put 50 50 share farms on. So we decided to come to to an arrangement. say, so, well, we're going to go and manage for 12 months. Then he get to know me. I get to know him. Mm. And then um, we talk to the banks and see what was possible. And that's where we went off 50 50 share farming. Yep. So we share farmed here for. Uh, so we managed for one year, and then we share farm for three years. We outgrew that farm, so we had too many cows because we were pretty much all the young stock was dropping on the ground. Um, so, because I was thinking, the way I was thinking is, if I wear all those heifers, like I'm not going to have a debt on them heifers when they come into the herd. So, and they give me options. So, if there's another opportunity to come up somewhere, I can I got this stock sitting there to take that opportunity on. Mm. So, um, even if the if worst comes to worst, we couldn't get a share farming job. And I had to, well, there's always an option to sell these heifers. Yeah, yeah. So um, so there actually was a 50-50 share farm job come up. So we went there and then we milked 750 cows. The year after, we were milking 800 cows there. We were pushing our farm along very hard mm. because we knew we were going to buy another farm someday, Yeah, yeah. Or we were looking at buying a farm. but. Again, we had a lot of young stock sitting there. Plus, we had this farm stocked up. So, because yep. I needed to make this next move again, so then we bought a very rundown farm that the previous farm owner probably done sixty thousand kgs of milk sauce there. So we've not quite triple production there this year. Mm. Uh, we went into the farm. We actually uh, took it over in May, and um, so we well, it was extremely rundown. So we actually yep. had to start on one side of the farm. And basically go in and re-fence the whole lot, stock water lines, make sure there was troughs and all the paddocks, fertilizer. Then we the year after so I got the fences up and going. So then the year after, that's where I got very excited. So that's when the excavators and the dozers come in and we ripped all, all the internal trees out and put that all into pasture and now yep. we've got two pivots up and the bores in and uh, pull some lineways out and put lineways in different directions. It's just easier for cows to walk and,
1: yeah, mm. just less walking. and So, yeah, that's where we are at, at the moment. Yeah, it sounds like you're still running pretty fast to get it in, hit, in place, but, oh, yeah, you I've know, with, with, that, anything, with that yeah. goal in mind. And I know, yes, does that trigger anything with you, Scott, about this right-sizing the business thing? I think you mentioned on stage... How you felt clearer in your head, and how you communicate better with your staff now. Um, is there anything, any insights into um, how much time and effort, sort of working on the business, right-sizing the business, getting the systems in place, sort of helps your outlook, and you know that hard work when that does pay off.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that uh, the big change for us was the like we we're growing, but the system was changing, mm. uh, and we. We thought we knew what we were doing, but we we weren't up to speed with the new learnings and um, so like I've no doubt that if we had grown at the same rate and the business stayed the same, like we were still a pasture-based business, we wouldn't have run into those problems like we did just mm. because we would have knew the, knew the system well. Um, so uh, it, look, if I had my time again, I probably wouldn't do it so quick. Um, and just allow ourselves to to develop the new system and, and learn it, and uh, and probably not put ourselves in such a vulnerable cash flow position. Yeah, because once we got there, it was hard to get out of that. Yeah, yeah. So we probably honed in how important cash flow is in a business. Like it, um, like we never made a loss any of the years, and numbers look quite good, but it yeah, but it doesn't show the cash flow side of the business, which was the killer.
1: Yeah, which from the outside of your business, and I've had a little bit to do with your business over the time. You, you know, you wouldn't have known that, but mm. that that internal feeling of being under pressure and how that sort of then flows out into your communication with you know your partner, communication with the kids, communication with the mm. staff. And you had some interesting comments on that as well in terms of getting staff involved in the business and how this balance between letting them work things out themselves but also having systems and processes in place so they knew they had the ability to, I guess, take control of the work they're doing and be challenged by the work they're doing but within some parameters that you and your brother have set. Have you got any sort of philosophies on managing staff and
3: managing yourself to get you know the team all Well, buzzing? I suppose you've just got to have a balance. It's all about a balance and people knowing what their roles are and not being afraid to ask. So having the support people there uh, to, um, you know, your staff don't always want to ask mm. the boss yeah. the question. Like, or if you're, in a, if you're in a group situation, some people will never put their hand up to ask a question. Yeah. But while you're walking through the paddock looking at the cows, they'll walk along beside somebody else and they'll ask a question yeah. someone else yeah. will overhear the question. And then the conversation starts. Yeah, yeah. So you've just every every individual is different, and um, you've got to give everyone time, mm. and you've got to you've just got to be. Um, I suppose you've just got to have an open mind um, about everyone's different capabilities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we try and tailor the work on our like we try and we try and not not everyone is good at milking cows. And not everyone's good at driving a tractor. Mm. So if you can try and tailor the um, jobs to suit sort of different people, then you end up with happy people.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: So it's that's sort of, I don't know if that answers
1: mm. your question. That no, it does. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I heard up there was about um, you pick jobs based on the opportunity, not necessarily the money, that you can see... The progress you can make, or what you can learn, or what you could get out of business, and then you're sort of saying that you like to provide that to people that come and work for you. Have you got sort of something to sort of round that philosophy out? I thought that was that really struck me as an interesting way to look at not only what jobs you take on, but then when you're looking at someone coming in your business, how you frame the potential for them. With the position where we're going to be in for next year, so we.
4: Do you want to go that far yet or not? Because like I, I was going to say with buying the farm next door, we don't actually want to get a, a manager invo- or a person involved in the business. Yep. and how
1: would you go about that? I guess it's uh, almost about that, not just talent identification, but that conversation you have at the start that you were saying on stage that you picked jobs based on opportunity and you yeah. wanted to pick this manager based on the selling the opportunity and giving them some sort of insight into where this business is going, how they can take it. Well, I guess how you can see that is um, it's to any business,
4: and 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 the corporate especially, I reckon, because when you get those big guys coming in, you you got probably an operations manager overseeing a few farms. Mm. If you get a a person on there and you offer them an opportunity, you'd be amazed how much more you get out of that person. Yeah. So it it could be share farming. Or it could be a staff member that you can train up from, from a farm hand to a 2 ic to a manager's level. Like if you start to give this person responsibilities <clears throat> and he will he will, you know, he steps up and he wants to prove so proves himself to you. Um, and then but especially going on in the long run, if you get a low water shear farmer, that guy, if he sees this cow stand in the paddock and the cows are hungry, mm. he will go out there and he will shift them cows. Because at the end of the day, if the cows are hungry and they're producing a lot less milk that that afternoon, it's costing them money too, yeah, yeah, you know, and if the, and if he's providing the tractor and and if he um is rough on the gear or whatever or mm. hes at the end of the day, he's the one' who's paying the r m bill on the tractor, yeah, so um motorbikes are exactly the same, you yeah
1: you you have to give people an encouragement to uh, to get going yeah. There. Yeah, it's that skin in the game but also yeah. that um giving the opportunity to show their potential that you know if they are dropping those things it's probably a clear indication to you that they're not thinking that far ahead but if they've got enough rope essentially they can show what they can do exactly now i know you guys are bursting to get back to all the great things that are at the australian dairy conference if you didn't make this year's you'll have to make the next one because it has been fantastic so far i'll leave you on one last question each and that is Interesting time for the dairy industry. We've heard a lot of speakers over the course of the ADC talking up the industry and down the industry, almost in the same breath. There's sort of a declining milk pool, but high milk price, plus cost cost pressures are coming on, plus, well, we think the world market, we might have made a step change in the Australian dairy industry. What's your one wish, if you can see it happening in the next five years for the dairy industry, that you think will get us on the right footing and have us heading in the right direction as an industry? I might start with you again, Scott.
2: Well, big question, Lockie. Um Yeah, I guess um, uh, more recently, like I've had a bit of enjoyment with, with seeing some younger guys uh, get their foot in the door and, and, and watching them progress. Um, I, just ho- I just hope that we don't lose too much of that over time. Like it seems to be less and less, but... Um, yeah, I reckon there's still a lot of older farmers out there that may not um, may not have a, a family member coming back onto the farm, but they could foster a relationship like mm. that to help some keen young fella um, get their foot in the door. Yeah, so some
1: keen young enthusiasm, yeah, and would... uh, but yeah, harvesting the wisdom of you know people that are in there
2: that would be my success story for the dairy industry to to, to maintain it, essentially.
1: Who will
2: Mine probably would be, um,
4: and that's looking at the Tasmanian industry overall, there's been a lot of corporate activity in the past. And, um, you know, if we keep going the way we are, and say if we get to a, a, a point where we, um, where we got 90% of corporate owned in Tasmania, and they're all going to employ a manager, mm. Like that farm, that's going to come on the market. Who is going to buy that farm? So I think it's very important that we keep keep offering these opportunities and young guys, you know, because we be just we need to get these young people coming into the industry.
1: Mm. And
4: yeah. you know, you you just I, if if I didn't get the opportunities
1: offered to me, what I I wouldn't have been where I am today. Yeah. And it's interesting you coming from the outside of the country. It is hard for us here to realise the opportunities that are our feet, and, and we see it even regionally that people from outside our regionally or outside the country come in and can't believe people aren't taking the opportunities right in front of them. But when you're in it, you can yeah. see all the all the gaps. So it is about but there's you know, there's always a, there's more, more Jeffries coming in and showing us the here. Yeah, well there's a, there's always two kind
4: of people. There's always this person who's always waiting for the right opportunity. Yep. But then, it, that right opportunity never comes. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to create your own opportunity. Yeah, and you there's, can there's, hear there's, that in the racing. Yeah, there's always, but, you, but there's always something on the farm. Like, oh, I don't like the dairy. Oh, it hasn't got enough irrigation. Or, yeah, or if it's the dairy is perfect and the and the and the farm is perfect, well then you find something wrong with the farm owner. Yeah, <laughs> So yeah. Yeah. you just need to there's create your own opportunity.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get yeah. in and do it. Exactly, yeah. And I can hear that in your phrasing even when you were saying the opportunities I was given, your whole speech you gave before, I wasn't seeing many opportunities being given. I could see you any time yeah. an opportunity came past you were grabbing it and it is that I can see the upside of this. It's easy for people to see the downside. I can see where I
3: can make this work. It's the hardest skill to get.
1: Yeah, I agree
3: with what both these guys have said. Yeah. Getting the getting young people into the industry is is absolutely critical, not just farm owners but... You know from um, from um, farm hands all the way up mm. through you know we need to keep on getting people coming in but I suppose from a, a business level um, sustainability like so long as not just the farmers but all the processes are all everyone's got to be making a dollar yeah along the yeah. way to keep the industry growing that's what will be the key to to um, you know, keeping the dairy industry growing is mm. we've got to be able to make money out of it as business owners, yep. not just farmers, but the you know, whether it's the the food supplier, the the, um, the technician that's coming to fix your dairy or the um, the processes that are selling the product, yeah. We've just got to be able to um, keep on, you know, we've got to make a good dollar out yep. of it. Yeah to and that's what will grow the business. If we can grow the business, that's what will bring the people in to the industry because they'll see the opportunities that Jeffrey's talking about. Yeah. Or even yeah. the one that started you and your brother on this journey too,
1: which was we're limited by land. What's an industry we can jump at where we think it's got a solid future in terms of milk size product people buy, with the land size we've got, the opportunity for irrigation, the numbers actually stand up for depth. Yeah, well, and it's, I right. it's, and it's a good option.
3: It, and yeah. how many
1: people yeah. get the calculator and look at it in that, yeah. Yeah. In that way? Excellent, guys. I'll let you get back to the conference.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this Dairy Pod episode. If you have any questions about this podcast or have suggestions or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thank you for listening and bye for now.